Welcome to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. I'm Alan Arnold, and it's the week of February 24th. This week's podcast is titled Identity Theft, and in it, Stacy Eldridge delivers a message about the enemy's number one tool to keep us from living in the love and in the power of God, and that is the attempt to steal our identities. Now, Stacy gave this message at a recent gathering here at Ransomed Heart we call Women at the Well, and it was to a live audience of many women, and we wanted to make sure that a larger audience was able to hear the strength and the insight that she offered that night. So here's Stacy Eldridge talking about identity theft. So early last year, I think it was May, John and I got some unexpected bills more expensive than we had thought was coming. Uh, One from Macy's and one from Target. (laughs) Well, they were pretty big, these bills. And the the thing was, though, that we don't have a Macy's or a Target credit card. (laughs) So we had to make those phone calls and all these men's clothes. The guy was on a shopping spree at Macy's. But here was the thing. In order to open these credit cards, he needed to have John's social security number, and they were opened in person. It was a face-to-face needing a Colorado state ID. (sighs) Identity theft, right? I mean, you hear the news all of the time and getting the protection, and it is a huge thing across the United States and internet and things being broached and identity theft. It's a problem. But as believers... As children of God, it's a big problem. Satan's number one strategy to throw you off and to keep you from enjoying your favorite position as a child of God, his number one tool to keep you from living in the power and the authority that have been bestowed on you is identity theft. I'm going to start tonight with a very, very short clip from the 2015 movie, Cinderella. You know where Cinderella has been relegated. She is an orphan. Many of us feel orphaned at times. And she has been sequestered, pushed up into the attic, and locked in her room. Let's watch this. See, it's no one of any importance. I told you, it's just her. And then she sneers at her as she departs. You just remember who you are. You wretch, she names her. And I love the question of the king's herald there. Who are you to forbid the king from what he has commanded? Are you an empress? Are you a deity? And she asserts herself as saying, I know, but I have a position of authority. I am her mother. And don't you love her response? You are not now nor have you ever been, and nor will you ever be my mother. She's not her mother. Satan is not your father, but he is a father. He is the father of all lies. You know this. Jesus said when Satan speaks, he speaks his native language. He lies, and he does give birth to things, too. He gives birth to death, to destruction, to depression, to oppression, to separation from God, to discouragement. 
And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has not been, he is not, nor will he ever be your father. And the degree to which we are convinced, convinced in our hearts of our new identity, that we truly are the children of God, as our hearts rest in the security of that, the more we will experience the reality of that in our inner lives. That's why we want to remember together and to call back and to wake up those places in us that need reminding, that need tending, that need our Father. John tells us in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. We have been adopted. We have been grafted in to the very being of our God. You are written in the palm of his hand. Nothing can take you out. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 from the Passion. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. I think sometimes we think that being adopted as being grafted in, as being now his sons and daughters, that we're still sort of a little step away from the banqueting table. Like second best, second choice. That is not reality at all. With the same love the Father has for Jesus, He has for you. We are His children. That's why we have the Spirit within us that Christ, Abba, Father. May that revelation begin to sink more deeply into us because we have been adopted. It is done. It's done. It's past tense. And we have all the adoption privileges that come with that. We get to run into the arms of our Father. In Revelations 1, 4, he says, come up here. He wants us to be with him. Come on up. The readers and listeners of the scriptures, when they were written, would have understood perhaps more deeply their profound meaning of the words adoption, of what it means to be adopted into a new family. In Roman times, when a person was adopting someone into their family, I'm adopting you into my family, this person needs to have seven witnesses to sign the document that says that they will help you train up this child until they are able to rise to the full stature of the parent, to train them up until they have the full ability to operate in the weighty matters of the family. Seven witnesses. The scriptures refer to the seven spirits of God, and there's many interpretations of what they mean, and I'm not clear on it myself, so I'm not going to go there, but it is clear that they are sent to help teach us and to train us, because we too are being trained, aren't we? We are being sanctified. We are being transformed into the very image of God, we are being trained to be able to rule and reign with God in his kingdom. We are being taught so that we can rise up to have the ability to operate in the full weight of family matters. We've been adopted. 
And in Roman laws, when the transaction was done from one family to the next, the judge would take a damp cloth and wipe the parchment completely clean that held the old life, the information about the old life of the one being adopted into the new family. He was gone. There's no permanent markers. There's no Sharpies. Was part of the deal in the courts was he would swipe clean the parchment and the name and all it contained was obliterated, wiped clean, gone. All their past life, it ceased to exist. Hear me. In court, information about the person's old life was canceled and could not be recalled again. Over. Done. Their name was changed. Their identity was forever made new. Forever. Behold, the old has gone. The new has come. Forever. Colossians 2, 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Past tense, having disarmed, having canceled. Your old nature, my old nature is removed. It is dead. It is extinct on the cross. Luke 19.28, Jesus' final words were, it is finished. The scriptures are written in Greek and are recorded as him saying, it is telestai, to telestai which means finished, and often as in a debt being paid in full. But Jesus didn't speak Greek from the cross. He would have either have spoken Aramaic or Hebrew. And in that language, the word that he used is pronounced hala, K-A-L-A-H, which means to be complete to finish, to accomplish, to put to an end, to make perfect. He says, it is hala, it is finished, it is done and done. The word in the original language, hala, means bride, bride. The truth is, that when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't paying attention to the nails that were holding him there. His eyes were on you. They were on you. It is Allah. Rabbi S.R. Hirsch, a Hebrew scholar in Hebrew literature, unpacks this for his Jewish readers. And the sense is it comes from the word, in in Hebrew, it's K-L-H. And it's speaking of the bride and how she completes the family. The sense is that the bride, the daughter-in-law, is the one who completes the family of her father-in-law. Okay, this is just, this is cool stuff. Let this, like, say, what? What? 
the family unit is not complete without the bride. You are the hala of God. You are the one to complete the family. You were the joy that was set before Jesus. He endured the agony of the cross for you because you were the dream of his heart. You were the vision that was set before him. You were the joy that he was looking for. Just take a moment. Just let that sink in. The possibility that it's true. That our king, our God of the universe, our word of God may be so brilliant that what he can speak can take a long time to unpack and that there are mysteries and that there are layers. You are his bride. It is finished. It is complete. Let God show you more how passionate he is about you. So passionate about you. It is You can say, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. You can say, I have a new name. My old life is obliterated. My sin nature is extinct. I am made new. He calls me mine. We are his children with all the rights and privileges thereof, and we are his brides. And just for you men that are listening, this isn't about a white frilly dress. It's not. This is about a covenantal relationship with a faithful God. This is about the covenant, the union, the intimacy. This isn't masculinity and femininity. The same thing with the scriptures calling us sons. When this is written, the word of God, it's sons who have the rights. This isn't about man, woman. This is about the proximity that we inhabit in the heart of our God and the covenant we have from him. We can't get even any closer. In covenant with Christ, we are united with him. We get to live, or we are meant to live, in intimate communion with Him all the time. And the number one way that we connect with our Jesus is through His words. What does He say? This is why we like read it and meditate on it and memorize it or put it on three by five cards on our mirror because we forget it in a moment or why we're supposed to tell each other, guess what? He loves you. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like, how? No, we're not going to go there. But the other incredible way to connect with the love of our God is in worship. Worship Him. Turn the focus of our attention onto Him. Get into His presence and stay there. Linger. That's why it's so beautiful to get together and worship Him together. And you can sing, and you can move, or you can be quiet, or you can just pray, help me, Jesus. And you just say, I want to be in your presence. I love you. I need you to turn the attention of your heart to him and to do this increasingly over our lives, to take a moment in the middle of our day and pause and turn our attention to him. Did anybody have the one-minute pause here at Ransom Hearts app? Yeah, so actually, this is a new app that came out 
that's free that you go to your app store. It's called the One Minute Pause. And you can set it to go off at different times in the day. I have it going off at 10 and at 2. And it's just an incredible tool to interrupt your day and go, oh, yeah, Jesus. And there's a one-minute pause. There's a three-minute pause. There's a five-minute. There's a 10-minute. I love to do the five-minute. What I want to do with you now is the three-minute. We're going to pause. And just get comfortable. And let's do the three-minute pause together. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. What do you need to let go of? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. I love you. I believe you. I worship you. Restore our union, Lord. Heal and restore our union. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray for more of you, God. Fill me with more of you. I pray the river of life would fill me, restore me, renew me, surround me. I need more of you, God. Saturate me with your love. Saturate me with your life. That's good. That's enough for now. Yes, God. Yes, God. So, so good to have something tangible to help us in the middle of our day. Before the pause came out, I already had my alarm set because life comes at us full force all the time. And it's talking at us 
from every which way. Now you can't even go to the gas station without it talking at you. It's yelling at you as soon as you put the thing in. You have to go run, hide in your car while this is happening. This assault on our attention, on our soul. The assault that we get when we feel the burdens of the world or we get onto social media and we have so many things going on and we care about them all and we are crushed under the weight of them. Jesus, accessing Christ's life in you is part of what we get to do. It's part of the joy of being a believer. And it's, it's not about this one moment encounter when we're born again. We all know that. The moment that we came to faith and we accessed his life and so much happened in the heavenlies. And yes, our slate is wiped clean. We are made a new creation. And all this stuff happens that we get to walk out and walk into and grow and understanding. But more, he is dispensing his life into us now. Right in this moment, the Holy Spirit is dispensing his life into you and expanding the capacity of your heart to love Him. That's such a good prayer. It's a dangerous prayer because He'll answer it, but to pray, please enlarge the capacity of my heart that I might love you, that I might love you like Jesus loves you. And the more (laughs) conscious we become, the more we turn into that actively, the more we're aware of that reality, the more we experience it the more our life is empowered by the Son of God who loves us so much that He died for us. This Jesus of ours. Let's have some more truth. We are His children. We are His sons and His daughters. We are His bride. Let's just take a moment and say, whose bride? Whose bride? Colossians 1. The Son is the radiant image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And then we're urged in Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I'm going to inundate you with scripture (laughs) because that's really fun. 
God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Luke 1.26, Jesus sits on the throne of his father, David. Luke 22, but from now on, the son of man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Matthew 26, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Hebrews 8, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. First Peter 3, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus? Where is he? Not a hypothetical question. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is seated. The right hand of God, that's the symbol of all power and authority and honor. He is seated till he puts all his enemies under his feet. He is seated. Except for one time, scriptures record him as standing. Remember where that is. Stephen is about to be martyred, the first martyr. And they are stoning him. And he looks up and he sees heaven open and he sees Jesus standing, standing, cheering, loving, strengthening his son. How beautiful. Our Jesus has been granted all authority in heaven and on earth. He is seated at the right hand of the power of God. And where are you? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Or how about this? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Where are you? Seated. Seated. Past tense, done, it is finished. Philippians 3, 20, 21, the New Living Translation says, but we are citizens of heaven where Christ Jesus lives. He has given us all power and authority to bring his kingdom to bear on earth. He says, now we are citizens of heaven. It's why we can move in power and authority. Let me read again, Ephesians 1, 11. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny, that we would fulfill the plan of God, who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. And so I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of his spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him, which is a benefit of spending time lingering in his presence. 
I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. You want to look that up again. Colossians 1, 17 and 18. Beautiful, stunning, yes, God. God wants us to know. He wants us to know him and who he is. And he wants us to know who we are so that we are not thrown and knocked off balance because we live in a world that is not going to stop coming at us. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. And I know a couple of the stories in this room of the sorrow, of the loss, of the pain. And I am so sorry. And it is in this place, these very places, that we need our Jesus. We need to know who are we to him, because that doesn't change. And that's where we can hold fast the hope that's within us and not get knocked and thrown off balance because we are his halah. He has endured all things for us. Colossians 2.2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of Christ, the mystery of God namely Christ. You know the great mystery. The great mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that Christ himself comes and lives within us, dwells within us. That's why when we pray, we don't have to shout. We need to learn and remember that we're not praying to the God that is far away. John says we're not praying to the sky God. He lives here. He lives within you. He dwells in your hearts by faith. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them he has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, union. Oneness. You are adopted. You have all the full rights of sonship, daughterhood. You are his bride. You are citizens of heaven. Christ is in you. And the same resurrection power that flowed through Jesus flows through your veins. Tell yourself the truth of who you are. The enemy is not going to try to stop stealing your identity. (laughs) No. So the more we know who we are, the more rooted we are in him. Because our old nature is removed. It is dead. I love the word extinct. It is washed clean. It is forever dealt with. But we're not saying we will never sin again. We're weak. He is strong. But we are saying our identity is not as a sinner. My identity is a saint. My identity is a child of God. And I keep a short account now with Jesus. Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not holding in accounts. 
yeah, yeah. Sweetheart, can I tell you again how much I love you? Oh, I know. That is hard that you, you were working on that together. I love you. I love you. Stay close to me. That's not your identity. Yeah, you failed there. You're not a failure. I love you. We need to know who we are. Abide in him. Remain in him. My old nature is removed. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. At the cross, Jesus birthed a new creation, a new substance, you. And this isn't about struggling or striving to get into his favor or his goodness. This is simply about receiving and believing and trusting. We move from striving and struggling simply by believing, by the grace to believe and to trust. We can't earn our way into this. We can't get our way into his heart by our good behavior. We already are in his heart. He is in yours. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, done and done. Done and done. Oneness is our reality and our invitation from him to be completely new, to turn our attention onto him, to grow in this, to access him. And to grow in it, yes, in the morning, yes, I do 10 and 2, but how great will it be to be at 12 and, and then 1.30 and, and, and at 4 and then at 8 before bed and to grow in it over time increasingly so that we live in union with Him all the time. Just He doesn't leave us, but you know how we wander. Like to sink into Him, sink into Him. And the more we turn our attention to Him, the more we experience Him. And the more the reality of what he has done for us exudes from our lives. The people encounter the love of God simply by encountering us. We don't have to say anything. We bear Jesus to them. And they're changed because they encountered Jesus. Now, they may want to ask you a question far out. Would love that. (laughs) And we bring the light and love of God wherever we go. Abide in him, remain in him, drink in his life, his river of life. It is finished. You are his beloved forever. Forever. Friends, we aren't going to work right until we align ourselves with what heaven says about us. We won't walk or live the way we desire to until we align ourselves and shift our inner dialogues and what we believe with what the Word of God says about us. Tonight or tomorrow, I want you to write down the answer to this question, who are you? Write it down. Tell someone else. Ask them who they are. Speak it. We get to do this. We get to go places with God. And our imaginations need cleansing, particularly in the world that we're living in, where they've been assaulted or or maybe we've entertained them in ways that aren't godly. Jesus wants to come and cleanse them. And so we can imagine just being with Him. And it's awesome. We have to speak and remember who we are and own this and write things down because we forget, right? We forget. And he is shouting it from the rooftops who we are. But the world is shouting so loud, this megaphone, that it's hard to hear. 
About five years ago, I was able to go to the Oregon coast for a little personal retreat. I'd never been to the Oregon coast. I heard it was beautiful, and whoa, is it? And I was there by myself, and I was asking for the Father particularly to reveal his love for me. Do you love me? I know it says here you do, but could you show me? Could you remind me? Would you speak to me? Would you open up my ears so that I could hear you, my spiritual eyes that I could see you? And I'm pressing in and praying, and I'm going for on long walks on the beaches. And there was these crazy storms happening out on the sea that were blowing in these blue little jellyfish called um, sea sailors. There were billions of them, as far as you could see, and they were really cool. They were like, they didn't sting me when I poked them. And they were kind of rubbery. And then when they dried off, this little white thing flicked off. They were really cool and really strange. So I looked them up to find out, what is this? Are these always here? And I've never heard of these. Well, it was this, it was this freak thing that was happening. So there was a lot of articles about them because it doesn't happen. Well, I'm asking God, do you love me? Can you show me if you love me? Can you give me a sign, God? So the last day. I'm walking on the beach, and these things have dried up now, and their shells are left, and they're scattered along the beach. Now, let's look at one close up. There's a picture of just one. You guys, they turned into hearts. All of them. Yes, all of them. And there's billions. I'm like stepping over them. Like, can you, do you love me? You know, can you just like, I want to see something. Is there something here that would tell me? That... Okay. <laughs> I about, I mean, oh, I love him. And he's so kind that he, he likes to tell us that he loves us. He doesn't get tired of telling us that he loves us. He wrote it in the stars. He wrote it in the sand. He wrote it in the wind, and he wrote it in his hands. I adore you. It's true, you guys. Take it by faith, and we can ask him to reveal it to us. Reveal it to me again, God, that I might know your love for me, that I might respond in love to you. Back to one last scripture from Ephesians 2, verse 13. So don't forget that you were not born as Jews and were uncircumcised. You had none of the Jewish covenants and laws. You were foreigners to Israel's incredible heritage. You were without the covenants and prophetic promises, the promised hope, and without God. Yet look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. See, gals, we need to gather together on nights like this and in fellowships because we need to remind each other and to remember. Because it's true that the sorrow doesn't stop and we feel it, and we grieve. But even in that place, we can turn our attention and center into his affection and know his power that works so powerfully within us. That power is love. Love. And in the midst of all of it, we are to hold on to hope. 
hope, the anchor of our soul. Our hope is meant to be concrete and sure, not wispy, not cloud-like. We need to know what it is. What are you looking forward to, gals? As his children, as his bride, as a citizen of heaven, what are you looking forward to? That was such a powerful message from Stacy Eldridge talking about identity theft. Now, I want to also invite you to the other podcast that we have here at Ransomed Heart. Many of you don't even know we have other podcasts, but we actually have two. One is called Become Good Soil. It's led by Morgan Snyder, and it's conversations for and with men who are choosing a decade of excavation who are purposely choosing a lower seat at the table for a decade to invest in becoming the man and the son that God is inviting them to be. Our other podcast is called And Sons. The And Sons podcast is led by Sam and Blaine Eldridge. It's for millennial men, and it's conversations on the development of the soul, cultural moments, and interviews with various people. The current And Sons podcast is titled Dismissal, Diminishment, and the Urge to Hide. It's about that feeling when you enter a room and everyone else there seems to belong but you. And how do you deal with that sense of being disposable? It's a conversation that I had with Sam and Blaine about my struggles in this area. And that's the current And Sons podcast. Next one is with Brad Beck from Ransomed Heart, and it's titled astronauts, emergency medicine, and your calling. So you can see the diverse nature of these podcasts, but all of them are an invitation to go deeper into your walk with God and to discover the more that he has for you. So I encourage you to check those out, the Become Good Soil podcast with Morgan Snyder and the And Sons podcast with Sam and Blaine Eldridge. We'll see you back next week with the start of a brand new series at Ransomed Heart. Thanks for listening.